Hello and welcome to Intelligence Talks, the podcast from the research team at Knight Frank. I'm your host, Anna Ward, Senior Residential Analyst. So we're back with episode two of our new second series. And hopefully, given that gatherings of over six have been banned, you'll have plenty of time to tune in. This week, we'll be looking at office markets all around the world. We looked at New York last week. We'll now be delving into markets including London, Paris and Hong Kong. Starting with London, the next few weeks are expected to be a key test for the capital's office market, with Knight Frank estimating there's around $5 billion worth of offices up for sale. I catch up with Faisal Durrani, Head of London Commercial Research, to hear more. I also get the latest on Hong Kong from Associate Director Martin Wong, and Paris from France, Chief Economist and Head of Research David Buller, all from Knight Frank. For a different take on the office market, I also speak to architect Professor Jason Pomeroy in Singapore. Jason has plenty of big ideas around the resilience of cities, and he believes that we'll be getting back to our everyday lives fairly soon. Finally, we'll be looking at the five key themes driving real estate. What will be influencing global real estate decisions over the next six months? If you want to find out, please stay tuned until the end, and you'll be hearing from my colleague Flora on her latest piece of research on this topic. I'm joined now by Faisal in London to have a quick chat about Knight Frank's investment table for offices. London is the most popular city for investment into office space, according to the research. The capital has seen over three billion investments since the start of the year, meaning it's beaten Paris and Manhattan. So Faisal, were you surprised by these results? Well, it was something we were expecting. I mean, initially at the start of the pandemic, the leasing market was doing better than the investment market. However, the pendulum appears to have swung the other way now. And to be honest, given the prolonged nature of the economic impact from COVID-19, it was inevitable that investors would seek out global investment safe havens. And that has been reflected in the fact that London has emerged, at least for the first half of the year, as the world's number one recipient for cross-border office investment, overtaking places like Paris and Manhattan. And so, Faisal, in terms of these numbers, I mean, do you think the lifting of the travel restrictions was the key factor in terms of driving more investment into London offices in the first half of the year compared to other cities? Certainly. I mean, one of the best examples, I guess, would be the sale of the Cabot in Canary Wharf for £380 million, which is the largest deal of 2020 and was, in fact, a deal that Knight Frank put through to a Hong Kong-listed link REIT. What we do think as well is that whilst the UK government has eased lockdown restrictions, there are reciprocal quarantine and self-isolation requirements in place for returning UK travellers to other countries. And we feel that that, to an extent, is holding the market back. So if it wasn't for those restrictions, we actually feel that there may have even been more investment than we've seen so far. And in terms of the next few weeks, there's clearly a lot of pending transactions. What are investors sort of watching out for? I mean, would you say that the next few weeks are going to be quite revealing in terms of the strength of the London market? Absolutely, yes. What we are seeing is greater confidence in the market amongst sellers and vendors. As we start to see greater transactional activity, we're seeing a greater appetite to bring stock to the market. And that, coupled with the fact that we've got so much pent-up demand, suggests that the next few months are certainly going to be very busy indeed. And in fact, as we ended the second quarter, there was about £3.5 billion worth of assets that were already under offer. And that was about 100% up on Q2 last year and about 20% higher than the first quarter of this year. So sort of highlighting the depth of demand for London office assets. 
And how would you characterise the demand? I mean, given the future of the office is uncertain, is this a case of there just being a few sort of trophy assets available that investors are keen on? Or would you say it's quite opportunistic at the moment? I wouldn't necessarily describe it as opportunistic, but one of the issues or challenges for investors that have looked at the London office market historically has been a distinct lack of stock. And now that we are seeing stock coming to market, we are going to see investors who have been unable to access the market looking at it far more closely. And obviously, issues around the future of the office are very important. And what we are seeing is investors starting to scrutinize the underlying health of the businesses that occupy the office assets that they are looking at, perhaps more than they have done so in the past. Thanks, Faisal. Martin, over to you on the Asian perspective. What can you tell us on the ground on terms of sentiment from Asian investors, particularly when it comes to kind of looking over to Europe? I think the investment sentiment uh, from the Asian is actually uh, improving these days, especially uh, the COVID-19 situation has been improved in Q2 compared to Q1 in, in Asia. But several cities and regions are still under lockdown for the moment. Hong Kong, as an example, because people can't uh, travel into Hong Kong these days. Our recent number of arrivals got down from 35 million to just 3.5 million in the first half of the year, causing the cross-border investment to be down as well in, in the first half of the year. And then so far, we look at the cross-border investments in uh, Hong Kong from all other places. Basically, we just got inbound investment coming from uh, the Chinese mainland. Chinese mainland investors account for more than 90% of uh, all investments. And then all the other places are basically quiet for the moment. What about looking outside there? I mean, in terms of interest in the London office market, obviously there was a huge surge in interest, and there has been a huge surge in interest from Hong Kong and uh, London offices over the past few years. I mean, do you see that ever returning? I mean, do you think that Hong Kong buyers are interested in London offices or Paris offices or anything beyond Hong Kong at the moment? Among several uh, leading cities worldwide, I think the Hong Kong investors are still very interested in investing in London offices because of the stable demand and when uh, to trend. And also they basically looking for a long-term capital appreciation. And because London assets are still regarded as trophy assets from their eyes compared to other places, so I think the demand is still uh, quite strong and they still show, show a strong interest in London offices despite COVID-19. Thanks, Martin. And David, what about you? What, what can you tell us about the type of investors that are looking to buy up Paris offices at the moment? Are you seeing any opportunistic deals happening? Historically, um, the French and Paris investment market has always been dominated by domestic players whose uh, share has roughly represented between 55 and 70% of sums invested over the past 10 years. So in recent years, the share of foreigners has tended to increase, uh, showing the growing attractiveness of the Paris market to a growing number of players from very uh, diverse nationalities, but still dominated by Europeans on the one hand, and Germans and British investors in particular, and North Americans on the other hand. Another significant trend we observed Last year was the surge of Asian investors and Koreans in particular accounted for nearly 30% of all investments made by foreign investors in Paris. So since the COVID outbreak, where the pandemic did not really prevent the, cl the closing of major deals on behalf of foreign investors, 
For example, in recent months, we've seen significant acquisitions by major players such as Ivanhoe Cambridge, uh, Decar, uh, LaSalle Investment Management, Brookfield, etc. However, it is true that the new uh, market conditions created by the pandemic have certainly slowed investment made by non-domestic players in France due to the lack of visibility in rental markets in particular, and all uh, market segments have been impacted, starting with corpus and value-add products, while before COVID, foreign investors accounted for nearly half of that market in Ile-de-France, with a major role played by uh, U.S. investors in particular. But even the prime segment is concerned. I would say that international investors tend to focus more on prime assets right now, but there are, of course, fewer transactions carried by foreign players and Asian investors in particular who have, who have been practically non-existent since the uh, COVID outbreak. Faisal, have you got anything to add on to, to that point there? Yeah, I was just going to pick up on David's point around the sort of focus on prime stock. In the London market, that's obviously been an issue as well, is finding the stock. When we ran our global capital tracker in February this year, we found that there was about £50 billion waiting around the world to be deployed into London's office market. However, at the time, there was just £2.3 billion worth of stock available to purchase, sort of highlighting that large discrepancy between supply and demand. However, now, given that we've started to see an uptick in activity, we feel that as more substantial deals are traded in the market, it will likely boost confidence amongst international investors as well as vendors. And in fact, we've already seen the number and volume and value of available investments in the market starting to rise. And if we exclude under offers at the moment, we've got £4.6 billion of commercial office real estate currently available, which is up 27% year on year, suggesting that the second half of the year will likely see uh, increased investment volumes overall. And one of the biggest drivers into London's office market, as Martin mentioned earlier, is, is the fact that this market offers stable long-term returns and has done so historically. And as the global and domestic economies continue to be frustrated by the prolonged impact of COVID-19, investors are wary of the prospects of an extended period of subdued growth. And unsurprisingly, they will start seeking out traditional safe havens in trusted locations in growing numbers. And London is certainly one of those cities. And a final fact for me would be that at the end of the second quarter, we had £3.5 billion worth of assets under offer, which is up almost 100% year on year and up 20% on Q1 2020, reflecting the fact that this market is seeing increased demand and appetite. We've spoken about how various office markets are faring in cities around the world and the flight quality assets. But what will these cities look like in the future? Will the sustainability agenda remain a priority post-COVID? And will we see a move away from traditional steel, glass and concrete structures? Joining me now to discuss all of this is Professor Jason Pomeroy, who is founding principal of Singapore-based sustainable design firm Pomeroy Studio. Welcome, Jason, to the podcast. Do you think you might be able to just give us a bit of an overview as to your background and what you do? Thanks very much, Anna. I'm an architect by profession, also an academic, holding various professorships at various global institutions around the world and have the privilege of teaching into the IDBE module at Cambridge University. And I'm also a TV presenter where I have 
various TV series that look at culture and innovation in cities. So the ability to bring green design principles to a broader audience is something that I cherish. And you're currently based in Singapore, that's right, isn't it? I am indeed, yes. So uh, I'm the founding principal of Pomeroy Studio. We're a design studio that focuses on the creation from the macro scale of green cities down to the micro scale of zero carbon homes. And there is also Pomeroy Academy, which is an institution that provides various courses that plug into existing undergraduate and postgraduate degrees at universities such as University of Venice, King Saud University and James Cook University. So from your vantage point in Singapore, what can you tell our listeners about how property development has been impacted so far by COVID? Are you envisaging a sort of long-term pause? Are your plans going ahead largely if there's long-term? What's, what's going on on the ground? Well, in Singapore, it's, I guess, experiencing what many a global city is currently facing. And, and the whole period of lockdown has seen this kind of cataclysmic change in central business districts where offices were pretty much laid bare and university campuses were effectively gathering dust as we were forced to kind of work from home and study from home. And all of a sudden, the home environment becomes that quasi university campus and office all in one. But I don't think that this is something that's going to last forever. And I think that the thing that we can see from global resilient cities like Singapore is that there will be a move back to the normal. And everybody talks about a new normal. I would argue that if you look at the timeline of pandemics from the 14th century to present day, yes, they have turned up as blips that have helped shape the cities and cities have become more resilient from them. You know, whether it's you know changing principles of sanitation and public works like in the 19th century to fight cholera pandemic or in the 14th century looking at quarantining systems and, and social distancing systems. We're going through the same principles today. And so I do think that we are resilient enough to have a return to the office and a return to the campus and basically get on with our everyday lives again soon. And on that point, I mean, what do you think from a design perspective, what do commercial office owners need to do in terms of attracting people back when you're talking from a design perspective? How do you think the office post-COVID will look like when you know there's a lot of pressure to obviously ensure that they're safe to work in as well as clearly the sustainability agenda remains an absolute priority for most governments currently in the world? Yeah, it's a good question. And basically what we can see is the short-term effects of the return to work in Examples like the six-foot office, which was being trialled by CBRE in, in Amsterdam, where you've got these concentric circles that are kind of mapping out a six-foot distance from a reception, or like a, from a, a workstation, with this conscientious effort to keep people apart. And everybody's experienced this kind of prophylactic experience where we are having QR codes and temperature screenings and copious amounts of sanitizer to try and safeguard our interactions. But I, I do think that there will come a point that this sense of keeping a distance will start to pass. And that is when we see the return of people into the workplace.
COVID has clearly created a great deal of uncertainty, so it's unclear what's in store going forward. Here at Knight Frank, associate partner Flora Harley in residential research has looked at a range of economic indicators to pick the most important factors likely to influence global real estate decisions over the next three to six months. Beyond the pandemic, these factors range from the reboot of the home and the workplace, travel restrictions and the distortion of capital flows, investing amid peak uncertainty and currencies and shifting buying power. And Flora is on the podcast now to share more. Flora, welcome to the podcast. So far, we've already talked quite a lot about Paris, Hong Kong and London. I know you've been tracking, Flora, the mobility monitor from Google and looking at various locations and looking at how active workplaces are. So what, what can you tell us about London, Paris and Hong Kong in terms of how many people are actually reoccupying the office? Well, I think it's really interesting in the depths of the pandemic in places such as London and Paris, where we saw the full national lockdowns, the amount of people and time spent at workplaces was down by 73% in London and 76% in Paris. So that was a huge amount of working from home. And we've seen that since recede. At the end of August in London, it's only 45% below baseline and in Paris, it's 37%. So we are seeing more return to work in the French capital than in the UK capital, which I think has been quite well publicised. But looking on the other side at Hong Kong, where they avoided that full scale lockdown, it was actually only 21% less time spent in places of work in the peak of the pandemic around the world in early April. At the end of August, it's still 22% below baseline. And maybe this could indicate a new level of normality as, again, Hong Kong has avoided those full scale lockdown and still have social distancing and other measures in place. But there is that sense of normality. So that could be where we're heading in London and Paris as well. So, Flora, you've obviously tracked currencies a great deal over the course of the pandemic. In terms of the year ahead, I mean, what do you think real estate investors should be watching out for? I think the currency one is quite interesting as we see the relative discounts in different markets, particularly for cross-border demand, can change significantly in a matter of weeks. Last week, we saw the pound was around $1.34, $1.35. And already this week, as Brexit has grown up the news agenda, it's dropped back down to one twenty nine. So that's quite a big difference of 3% week on week. I think, interestingly, Brexit is keeping a lid on the relative value of the pound and how it is performing against both the euro and the dollar. But if we do see a deal agreed, many are forecasting that it'll end the year around $1.35. So that's important for US dollar or dollar pegged buyers, particularly looking into the UK, as they may see their opportunity for discounts recede. In terms of the euro, we've seen a lot of strength this year. It's now at almost record levels against the dollar, $1.19, around 6% higher than it was at the beginning of the year. So euro denominated buyers have seen their buying power rise in many different markets. And we could see some outbound capital as they seek to take advantage of this. Going forward, what we need to be watching is relative inflation rates and how the European Central Bank and the Federal Reserve and the Bank of England react with different monetary policies. Obviously, there's not much room for movement in interest rates, but how they react, the level of quantitative easing and support that they're offering markets could change the way the currencies are viewed and change the relative values. So we could see a lot of movement going forward at the end of the year. You've obviously looked at the key influences on real estate decisions for the near term, so for the next few months. When do you plan to revisit this? I think we're going to reevaluate how the markets have moved and how these influences have been impacting 
on investment flows in three months time and comment on it. And then in six months, we're going to do a full review by talking to our researchers in many different markets to find out what is driving both residential and commercial property and what they think is going to for the next three, six months. So we will do a full review in six months time because of the pace of change in the world at the moment, who knows what we could be seeing then. How would you describe that, Alex, the sort of balance between the UK and foreign buyers? And have you seen a noticeable tick up in domestic deals? I mean, have you seen much of a return from international buyers? Definitely a return for international buyers. There was, as we probably would say, is a slight pause in the market during lockdown, but there were still deals happening. We have seen that increase in demand from all over the world looking at transactions in the UK. So in terms of outbound capital into UK. We have seen areas such as the Middle East reduce their outbound capital, but that is picking up at the moment. Hong Kong has increased its investments into uh, central London and and surrounding areas, and we've seen a number of those transactions happen. So a number of Southeast Asian investors have increased their appetite for Europe, for major transactions in Europe, and we've started to see that momentum building across those major cities in Europe. On the currency piece, I know that Flora raised this as as something that struck her as particularly significant as a driver for global real estate decisions. Alex, what can you tell us? Who has the strongest currency advantage when it comes to buying commercial property at the moment? Yeah, it's been quite a volatile time in the currency markets. And the US dollar has lost a little bit of steam recently. And I think it will continue to be volatile up to the US elections. Um, Against the dollar, the euro and the yen have performed the best year to date five and two percent respectively and just looking at the pound it's sort of bounced back as Flora mentioned from the lows in March and but still sort of 14 percent off five years ago with many forecasting it to increase by year end but I think there's a number of factors there Brexit negotiations in US elections that will be an important factor over the next few months I think the euro is an interesting one that has reached some record highs recently and some forecasters said it will strengthen further by the end of the year so this helps to add further to previous conversation on the demand from European investors that we expect. If you enjoyed this episode of Intelligence Talks, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please also make sure to share this episode on social media and check out the show notes for more information. Mm-hmm.